Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to say thank you. Lord, for each testimony given here tonight. Lord, a testimony of the Creator of the universe working individually and personally in lives. And Lord, working in our church. And we're thankful that you care about us, Lord, that you meet our needs, that you answer prayers, you provide. Uh, Lord, that you uh, sometimes do things in very unusual ways. And even when we have things that are negative, we can still be thankful and we can still trust in you no matter what. Lord, we're thankful for your love and your goodness to us. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. It is now time to go ye. And then, don't forget when we do break for prayer, uh, if you're, uh, what do we say, teenagers, just tweens, teens, uh, if too old for go ye kids and, and uh, uh, non-adult yet, you can go with Andrew and... Um, We'll have a, a time there together. Let's. We're going to start in Luke chapter eight. Luke chapter eight. We're going to move around a little bit, and uh, the name of the sermon tonight is redirected or straightened out. You know, sometimes we we do have good intentions and good direction uh, from the Bible, but uh, good intentions are absolutely no guarantee of a good outcome. Uh, the only guarantee that we can have from a good outcome is following the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? It is making direction. We make decisions every day. And it is very easy, and one of the devil's greatest temptations is, well, I'll just bend a little bit here. Uh, I'll just give in uh, uh met a person years ago and they were talking to their pastor about uh, a problem at work. Uh, uh, their employer had said, I, I need you to lie for me. I need you to tell them I'm not in the office when they called. And uh, the person came, was talking with the pastor, and I said, and they said, now listen, pastor, I told them I would never do it again. Well, the problem was you've already done it once. You're going, you've already lost the battle. You see, we, we think we can get away with, well, maybe once, or we feel the pressure. And, and what we, we need to understand is that what God's Word says is the best. And, and we just need to stick with the Bible. And there are plenty of times in the Bible, and we're just going to look at... Uh, about four of them tonight, where people had the right intentions, the right direction, but they just needed to, sometimes I'll get a hold of my, one of my boys, especially by the shoulders, and, and just give them a little turn so they're heading in the absolute right direction. I mean, they're going close, but they just need a little redirect here. And uh, let's just start reading in, in verse 43. Of, of Luke chapter 8, and this is a familiar story. In, in verse 41, Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, comes to Jesus and tells him, My daughter 
is dying. I need you to come. And uh, as Jesus was following him, we start reading in verse 43. And a woman having an issue of blood, 12 years, which spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed by any, came behind him and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood staunched. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude thronged thee and pressed thee, and sayest thou who touched me? And Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue is gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he, Jesus, said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. Now what we have here is a woman that had an issue of blood that made her unclean. Uh, if you have a, a running issue, a, a wound that would not heal, according to the Old Testament, you were unclean. Guess what? You were not allowed in the temple. Uh, you were not allowed to offer sacrifices until the issue uh, had been solved. She would not be able to participate in any of the feast and the regular meetings. Uh, she would not be able to keep uh, common company uh, with people because of this uh, uncleanness, there there was a separation. There there had to be, and and uh, you follow the rules that are in the Bible when it talks about, uh, uh, especially leprosy and different wounds and things like that. Uh, it's just plain good hygiene. It, it's one of the reasons why the Jewish people in the Middle Ages did not suffer. Uh, to the same extent from the plague and many other diseases that just ravaged uh, medieval Europe, it's because they were obeying the Bible commands. And, of course, all of the <coughs> Christians uh, persecuted the Jews because they thought it was through witchcraft or something. But all the Jewish people were doing were following what was already printed in the Bible. They washed their hands. Uh, how many of you wash your hands all the time? Uh, and, and you should. Under running water, that is a good thing. Uh, and these things were in the Bible. And so this woman was in an impossible situation and she had heard about Jesus. Now, we don't know all the reasoning, but maybe she was standing there when the ruler of the synagogue came with his dying daughter. Now, certainly that was more important than her problem now, wasn't it? I mean, I'm sure she would have thought about that. I've been like this. I'm not going to die. Uh, maybe she thought, May, I wish I could die. Uh, but I, here I am. It, it's not as important. And she was not going to stop the Savior. We kind of, what I want to call this one is secret faith. How many of you have been tempted to keep your faith a secret? I need God to do something very special. Sometimes we have work situations. We have health situations. We have different things that come up and 
we need God to intervene on our behalf. You know, that's one of the reasons why we have the praise time on Sunday night. You don't have to share details that would not be proper to share. That's why we have unspoken requests. Amen? And, and how many times has someone raised their hand and said, God answered an unspoken request? And when you hear those, don't pass over them as light. So many of those are of the most serious and heartfelt nature. In fact, what's going on, we, we can't share the details, but I'll tell you what, when God works, we certainly can praise Him for it, can't we? And you see, this woman said, if I could just touch the hem of His garment... And I love this story from a different aspect, and I've used it countless times for illustration when Jesus said, I perceive virtue has gone out of me. You see, virtue is a word that is so, uh, I don't even know, uh, nullified in our modern society. How many of you remember a very famous children's book written about uh, 15, 20 years ago called The Children's Book of Virtues? It was written by one of the biggest gamblers in Las Vegas. Millions of dollars, this guy. And it was all his own money. He wasn't doing anything dishonest. But this guy's blowing millions of dollars over the years at the gambling tables in Las Vegas writing a book on The Children's Book of Virtues. There's just something wrong with that, isn't there? And uh, the guy's name is Bennett. I can't remember his first name right now. My kids had that book, and uh, and he was actually a big, uh, high-profile lawyer and a lot of real conservative cases, and he was always Mr. Clean and Mean. And and no, he was he wasn't virtuous. You see, virtue... And I'm preaching something else tonight, but virtue is a powerful purity. You know why America used to be as uh, the French uh, uh, patriot described? He said America was like a Sunday school. This was in the 1820s. You know why America was like that? Because its people feared God. When you fear God, when you are a Christian, when your relationship with God shows, it affects those around you whether they want to or not. And and this is what virtue is. And this woman, for some reason, thought that all she needed to do was just touch the hem of his garment. Now, here's the thing. She was unclean. When an unclean person touches something that is clean, what happens? It becomes unclean. Except when the unclean person touched Jesus, she became clean. Because Jesus could not be made unclean. Amen? And Jesus stopped. I'm sure this was much to the worry, uh, worryment or frustration of, of Jarius because his daughter was dying. He knew that there were just moments. Jesus had just literally stepped off the boat coming off the sea 
across the Sea of Galilee there. He, he stepped down and there was Jairus waiting for him. I, I am sure that he had people out looking and trying to find Jesus because his daughter was dying and the moments were slipping away and he knew that very soon if God did not intervene in a miraculous way, his daughter would be in eternity. And before the story was over, when Jesus got to the house, they were already sending up the death whales and things because she had died. Aren't you glad Jesus is never late? But there's some things that we need to get redirected. See, Jesus wanted to make sure of a couple of things. Number one, if Jesus saves you, if you have that faith relationship with Jesus, number one, it's not insignificant. Number one. Amen? Jesus deals with us as individuals. He takes time to work in our lives. And He wants us to know that He never has to make someone else suffer to take care of me. In the real world, how many of you have ever been in a situation? Hey, I only have so many hours in a week. Uh, I can only do so many things. Well, that's because we're human. But Jesus, He never runs out. Amen? He wanted to make sure that she understood that he had time for her and for Jairus' daughter and for everyone else who would seek him in faith. An act of faith is never insignificant or unworthy of putting attention to. Can we say amen to that? God wants us, and He doesn't want us to exercise faith in relics. It was not the hem of His garment that saved her or that healed her. It was faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus stopped and made sure that she understood, Thy faith hath healed thee. Nothing else. It wasn't the hem of my garment. There's no hocus-pocus here. No mystical element. It was faith in Jesus Christ that performed the miracle. And so, this woman had all of the right intentions. She had all of the right faith. But do you see what I'm trying to point out here? She just needed turned a little bit so she understood. Hey, number one, Jesus has time for me. Faith is real. And faith cannot be kept secret. Faith must be expressed because every time God does something through faith, it is a testimony that God is and that God is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. And we need to bear that testimony. And that's what this woman did. And Jesus made sure she did. Let's go to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And in verse 1, After these things the Lord appointed other seventy also, and sent them two and two before His face into every city and place, whither He Himself would come. Now that gives you just a little idea of what Jesus was doing. 
he had 35 preaching groups going out. And he followed every one of them. And performed miracles and did these things. And he gave the disciples actually power to do uh, miracles. And they come back in verse uh, 20 here. And... uh, Well, actually, let's look at verse 17. And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. You see, people have misused this passage. There are churches uh, that actually, they're, they're called snake handlers. And they will take a box of, depending on what part of the country they're in, rattlesnakes, copperheads, cotton mouths, uh, poisonous snakes. And, and these people will put their hands in there and, and, uh, and touch those snakes and all of these things and say, See, God has given me power over the enemy. Uh, that's not what Jesus is talking about. In New York City, I use what is most familiar to all of us. Don't play in traffic. Uh, You go running across the street against the crosswalk and get run over. Uh, Our our mayor will be very sad. Uh, His vision zero is uh, very important to him. Uh, But, you know, don't. Don't put yourself in harm's way. That's That's not what Jesus is talking about here. But he gave these disciples power and they were amazed. How many of you could give a testimony that God actually used you somehow? Almost everyone in this room could. You know what? That's not what we're to rejoice in. The greatest miracle that God will ever do in your life is take you from the road to hell and guarantee you a home in heaven. Never, ever get over your salvation, my friend. We need to remind ourselves constantly, yes, salvation is just the beginning, but the root of every good thing in my life is because Jesus saved me. And why did he save me? Because he is good. Not because I'm good, but because he is. And so Jesus was redirecting the disciples. He didn't want them to do any less. In fact, he wanted them to do more. But he wanted their rejoicing and their focus to be on the fact that Jesus saved them more than anything that Jesus could do through them. You see, if we get our eyes off of Jesus and the fact that he saved us, we might get thinking ourselves pretty important. You know what? We're the least important part of the equation. Jesus is all in all. 
And every once in a while, we just need to be redirected just a little bit. Amen? And, and so, let's look at one more. Actually, let's look at two more. Uh, let's go to Mark chapter 10. Well, how about, wait a minute, let's just stay in Luke chapter 10 if you're still there. Let's go, go down to verse 38, and then we'll, we'll go over to Mark. I'll just rearrange the notes here a little bit. Uh, verse 38, Luke chapter 10. Now came to pass as they went, they entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about with much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Now, again, this is one of those premier misunderstood passages in the Bible. I don't know how many people I've met, people claiming to be spiritual, who would not lift their fingers to the work that needed to be done because they were too busy. I'm just sitting at Jesus' feet. Well, I need to pray. Well, I need... uh, You know, that's not what this passage is talking about. You've got to get what was happening here. Who had received Jesus into the house? Martha. Apparently, she was the preeminent one. She had a brother named Lazarus. And and we know that Lazarus and Jesus had a special relationship. And Mary, uh, these three people, apparently... Uh, they had never married. They were just living there as adults, uh, maybe even older adults in, in this home together. Uh, apparently, they were people of some means. It was Mary that would anoint Jesus' feet uh, just be, the night before the triumphal entry into Jerusalem with an ointment that would have been well over one year's salary, maybe a year and a half salary. Now, let's put it in that kind of perspective. You make $50,000, this box of ointment would have been worth $75,000 in current money. And she poured it on Jesus, anointed the whole thing was gone. Uh, so they were there. And, and Martha invites him into the house. Now, uh, when, when you invite someone over, what, what do you do? You, you want to make them feel at home. You want to make them feel at ease. You want to, uh, one of the uh, greatest ways you can honor someone is feed them. And uh, Martha was not going to just get the leftovers. She had invited Jesus to come. And he came. And, and so she was going to treat Jesus the way he ought to be treated. Isn't that correct? But... How in the world could we ever repay Jesus for what he's done for us? Can you? You know, there's a lot of times we set out in our own intentions. I want to do something to please Jesus. I mean, every once in a while I hear uh, there's a line in one of those songs that uh, 
uh, one, uh, the quartet, the Amen Quartet sings, uh, "I want to be, I want God to be proud of His Son." Oh, I hate that. That that is just so against what's in the Bible. There is nothing in me that God can be pleased with unless He puts it there first. Amen. Hello. You see, Martha was trying to do something to honor and please Jesus. What is the greatest way we can honor Jesus? Learn from Him. Do you see this in a little bit different light now? It wasn't that Jesus didn't want Martha to prepare a nice meal. It wasn't that he wanted her to be any less hospitable to him than she should, than, than his person demanded. I mean, here, Martha knew who Jesus is. But you see, Jesus did not come for us to take care of him. He came to take care of us. And the greatest thing we can do to honor the Lord Jesus Christ is let Him take care of us. He's the author. He's the finisher of our faith. Amen? But sometimes we just need to to remember that no matter how much good we do, no matter how much we try, any good thing that happens in our life happens because Jesus put it there first. Any good deed you go, any love that you express toward another human being ought to be received from the Lord Jesus Christ first before you give it to another human being. That's one of the greatest sins that we commit as Christians is we try to reach inside ourselves and love and care one for another instead of going to the Lord Jesus Christ and getting a dose of His love first to pass on. Can we say amen to that? You see, that's the difference between fake Christianity and real Christianity. I don't know if anybody remembers or not. I do. I preached a whole sermon last January and February, about eight weeks, nine weeks, on true versus imitation. And was trying to address some problems in our church along those very lines. But didn't happen that way because people wouldn't be redirected toward the Word of God and toward the love of God. And that's what we need. Amen? We need to understand that if we're going to do anything for Jesus, it has to be because He puts it there first. And that was Martha's problem. She thought she was going to do something to honor God. You can't honor God. When, when you put your money in the offering plate, I hope and pray that you stop and realize that, well, if it weren't for me, where would this church be? Well, I praise God we don't have anybody that really, we don't have anybody like that in our church. <laughs> Honestly. Uh, 
But we've had some people who think that about themselves. And it hurts because God can't bless your offering. But when you realize that I'm going to take a little bit of what God has given me and give back to Him in honor and obedience to Him, that's when God does miraculous things with the little bits that we have. Amen? You see, we just sometimes need a little redirection. Now, let's go get the last one. Mark chapter 10. And this is really the most outrageous one. Jesus had to really... Uh, say some things here and they needed to be said. Mark chapter 10 and uh, we'll just start reading in verse um, 35. Verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him saying, Master... We would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. What a statement. Now, if you read it in some of the other parallel passages, it was their mother that came with Jesus. Uh, So if we put that together, mom and the two boys showed up. They had been talking about things. And, And apparently James and John were in total agreement with mom on this thing. Uh, that they were the two uh, preeminent disciples. And when Jesus came into his kingdom, uh, it would just be an ideal situation for John to sit on his right and James on his left, or James on the right and John on the left. I mean, it, it, would, just, it would just be right. I mean, honestly, I mean, Peter, you know, Peter is the, was the other of the uh, inner three of the disciples, but... Peter had problems now, didn't he? He's always sticking his foot in his mouth. He was always saying something that shouldn't ought to be said. In fact, Jesus in Matthew chapter 13, 16 had to say, Get thee behind me, Satan, to Peter. Never said that to James and John. They, they, they had this thing together. Amen? I mean, how many of you are getting this? Uh, and, and so they come to Jesus with this outrageous unbelievable, totally unbiblical question, desire. And he said unto them, verse 36, What would ye that I should do for you? Now, again, how many of you are just thoroughly enthralled with the patience of our Lord Jesus Christ? Can, Can we say something about that here? I mean, it just must be said. They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on thy right hand and the other on thy left in thy glory. You can choose which one on which side, but we just want to make sure that we're both there. And uh, But Jesus said unto him, You know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized with all, shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. 
And of course, if you understand the Greek, the original language, there's a big duh at the end there. Uh, don't you get that? I mean, come on. Why would the ten be happy about this in any way? You see, in true service for Jesus Christ, there is no great and lesser. There is no great position in peons. In fact, if you'll study the letters to the churches, Uh, I believe it's actually the doctrine of the Nicolaitans that made a division in levels of Christianity. And this is, oftentimes I make a statement, we are influenced in ways that we are totally unaware of. Many of our people in this room were raised in the Catholic Church or Orthodox Church or something along those lines. And good night, how many levels do you have? Uh, and, and the Catholic Church recently, I think back in the early 70s, came up with the position of pastor. Now, how many of you know what a pastor is in the Catholic Church? The pastor is a non-professional, non-ordained, non-nothing. He is one of the regular masses that is picked out, and he gets to help the priest officiate at Mass. He is the lowest person of service. It's not permanent, but he's called... You know why they do that? Because somebody in the Catholic Church was smart enough to figure out that true Bible preachers call themselves pastors, and they're trying to demean it. But you know something? As a true Bible preacher, as a pastor... I embrace my position and I don't care what you think of it. Talking about the Catholics. Amen. We got a job to do. You see, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, one preacher said many years ago. We all get saved the same way. Just because we have different jobs doesn't mean that one person is of any greater importance than another. You know what our reward in heaven is going to be? Our reward in heaven is going to be be able to see Jesus as he is. We can't do that now. If Jesus were to appear in his glory in this auditorium, we'd all be vaporized immediately. Because a holy God cannot allow sin into his presence. That's going to be our reward in heaven. To be part of that group casting crowns at his feet. Amen? It wasn't only James and John. Later it was Peter that would turn around and look at John and said, What's he going to do? Jesus said, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Now, I hope you'll notice that the overall theme of this message tonight on redirection 
has simply been, it is all about Jesus. Everything we do. When you got saved, who did the saving? Uh, Jesus did. You didn't do anything except ask him to save you. It's amazing to me how much struggle there often is in lives for someone to simply ask Jesus to save them. But that's, that's all you do when you get saved. When Jesus answers prayer, it's not because you're such a great praying person. It's because Jesus is such a great giving God. Can we say amen to that? And He always has time. And we get excited about the wrong things when we should be getting excited every day that Jesus saved me and He's never going to take that away. Amen? And... Yes, Jesus wants us to serve Him. But if you're going to serve Jesus, you've got to get it from Him first before you can give anything else to anyone else. By the way, that night that Mary anointed the Lord with that ointment, who was making the dinner for everyone there? Martha was. She was doing more work than she had ever imagined. She had Jesus. She had the 12 apostles there with him. Uh, she had, uh, friend, I mean, everybody from out of town was all heading Jerusalem for the Passover feast. Who knows how many people? And all the Bible says, and Martha served. But it was Mary that broke up the party by anointing the Lord with the ointment. But I'll tell you what, it was Martha's face at Lazarus' tomb that made all the difference in the world, not Mary's. So, Mary found her place. Amen? And Martha found her place. And we don't need to worry about where I'm going to be when I get to heaven. What we need to be concerned about is what would Jesus have me do to serve him today. Sometimes you just need a little redirection. A little turning of the shoulders to make sure that we're walking straight. We're not slouching. That we're serving the Lord as we should. And all God's people say Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you administer this message to us tonight. And Lord, that you would help us as we go to you in prayer in just a few moments to seek you in a way that we could see the miracles that our church so desperately needs. We ask you to work on our behalf that we may glorify thee. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, if you need to slip out of your seat and spend some a few moments at the altar or pray right where you are, it's up to you. And then